And welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. I'm Henry Jukes, a developer and experimentation advisor at Split Software. Today, I'm joined with Charles Woods. Hey, I actually have a quick announcement I want to throw out there. I'm putting together a summit in December. It's the most valuable .dev summit. So go check that out. Awesome. Also, we have Jeffrey Grumman. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Henry. How are you doing? Doing great. Awesome. Uh, and... Also joining the, the regular cast, we have Joe Stevens, who joined us as a guest in a previous episode. Joe, welcome to the team. Great to be here. Wonderful. And then this week, we have an excellent guest. I'd like to welcome Robert Murgat. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that last name right. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Hi. Hi, welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you here. Uh, I'd love to kind of kick off, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and you know, what you're here to talk about. Yeah. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it. The only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They, they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it. Grepping through logs is no fun and having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and you use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at adventuresindevopspodcast.com slash Raygun. So I'm Robert. I'm a PhD student at Ruhr University Bochum in Germany, and I work on TLS and TLS topics. And I think today we're going to talk about the Raccoonatech. attack. Wonderful. I'm really excited for this topic. So kind of let's, let's to kick things off. We'd love to, to learn a little bit about the you know, Raccoon attack, kind of maybe to start things off. Just tell us a little bit about what it is and kind of how it was discovered. Yeah, sure. So... Maybe generally, Raccoon Attack targets TLS, and TLS is the protocol which is used in HTTPS, so most people are probably familiar with that. But it's also used in a lot of other protocols like FTPS or SMTPS or POP3S, so basically everything with an S at the end. And in that protocol, you negotiate different cryptographic algorithms, which are used for the key exchange of, for the actual encryption. And the Raccoon attack targets the Diffie-Hellman key exchange, which is a public key key exchange algorithm. And basically, in November last year, we discovered a flaw in the way this Diffie-Hellman key exchange is integrated into TLS, which allows an attacker under certain circumstances to decrypt a connection. And the flaw in general is that in the Diffie-Hellman key exchange, you exchange two numbers, g to the power of a, 
and the client responds with g to the power of b. And then we are both supposed to compute g to the power of ab. And this is the, the shared secret, which in the attackers should not be able to, to get. But the problem is that TLS is stripping leading zero bytes from that shared secret. And both this results oh. in the sometimes that shared secret is sometimes a little bit smaller and sometimes a little bit bigger because sometimes it started with a leading zero byte and sometimes it did not. And the problem is that this shared secret is then thrown into a hash function. And a hash function is basically a function which takes an input of arbitrary size and makes it input of constant size or to a to value of constant size. And the problem now is that if your input is sometimes a little bigger and sometimes a little smaller, this computation will be a little, little longer or a little shorter. And this timing difference, which is resulting from the hash function, is exploited in the raccoon attack to recover the shared secret. And, and Robert, I mean, we've seen you know, sort of similar attacks or vulnerabilities like this in, you know, in SSL and OpenSSL before. How do you, you know, maybe just to give you a little bit of background. So I, I'm a security person myself. And so I, I find this interesting. I'm not a security researcher, so I, I don't go into, you know, the, the depth that you clearly have. But, you know, this isn't the, the first by any stretch of the imagination, the first vulnerability that we've seen in the, you know, of this nature, at least in, in my mind, I'm curious how you think about this, how it compares to, you know, other, you know, this, and I don't mean without getting into probably the, the real technical details of this, right? And I'm sort of looking at this at more of a high level. So just to preface yeah. it that way, but it, it certainly seems not so different at a high level than some of the Oracle padding attacks or some of the, or something like a heartbleed attack that we saw several years ago. Now it was eight years ago, I guess. I'm curious how you think about this and, and, and you know, how, how you think it's sort of, and, and how it's played out as compared to some of these previous types of vulnerabilities and public attacks that we've seen. Yeah, sure. So def- there were definitely a lot of vulnerabilities in the past on TLS. And there were also a lot of implementation level vulnerabilities, like the heartbeat vulnerability. It was vulnerability which was just in openness or just in openness, like openness is one of the biggest implementations, but it's an implementation vulnerability which you can fix easily. All those padding Oracle vulnerabilities we've seen in the last years was also mostly implementation level vulnerabilities. And Raccoon, in contrast to that, is vulnerability in the specification. So if you are using the algorithm and if you are in the setting where you are reusing the ephemeral keys, which Raccoon requires, then all the implementations are vulnerable. Like you did everything right, you implemented everything correctly, but you are still vulnerable. But this is a specification vulnerability, but it's like like a minor issue from the in the big picture. Like Heartbeat was a disaster for TLS. You could get the private key. Everybody had to exchange, uh, had to change the certificates. And it was probably a lot of headaches for a lot of admins. But Raccoon, in, that, in contrast to that, is like very, very hard to exploit. And it's probably not, a, not the Diffie-Hellman key exchange is not used that much anymore in contrast to like elliptic curve Diffie-Hellman or something like that. So the impact is kind of limited in that way, but still super interesting because we used novel techniques which were not used before. And the vulnerability has been present for over 20 years. And nobody saw that you could do this trick because it involves some heavy math to actually get the shared secret out of 
out of a connection, even if you know if a secret sometimes starts with a leading zero byte or not. Of curiosity, when you talk about heavy math, what kind of scale, order of magnitude, computational complexity, what are we talking about for someone to really leverage this attack? So for me, this was quite complicated math. So it's not necessary that you need a lot of computational power. So maybe in the range of hours on a on a decent server. But like I'm not I'm I'm not a mathematician. So when I was required to solve this this equation system which was resulting in the raccoon attack, I was not able to do that. So it's actually quite funny. When we found the attack, um, I was looking at the specification, actually looking for another attack. And mm-hmm. when I saw at the, I was looking at the SL version three specification. And in SL3, it's more easy to see this vulnerability. So there's directly the hash function call, and you can see, oh, this, this cannot be constant time. And I went to my colleague, Uri, so who's now a professor in Paderborn, and he was like, hmm, this is interesting. And we thought about it for like 50 minutes, and then he thought, yeah, yeah, we can, we can break TS Diffie-Hammer with that. And I was like, yeah, sweet, nice. Uh, so how are we going to do this? And he was like, yeah, it looks similar to Bleichenbach attack. We can probably do something. Should we ask Nimrod if he joins uh, the team? And I was like, yeah, sure, let's ask Nimrod. And Nimrod was also, yeah, let's do this. And we were super happy. And I went home and I drank a beer. And I was like, yeah, sweet, we broke <laughs> the TS. If you have one, like, this is amazing. And then Nimrod wrote me on Slack and he said, oh, Robert, this is not like a Bleichenbach oracle. You cannot do this with uh, with traditional techniques. You need something different. And I was like, "Oh damn!" <laughs> but this has to be this has to be solved somehow, right? And he was like, "Ah, not sure." And um, I was like, "Ah, oh, damn!" And I already drank my beer, so I went to bed. And the next day, I spent like the whole day to find a way to solve this equation system. And um, I heard about hidden number problem before, which is the basis for the equation system you had to solve. But I have never used something like that, like a super advanced mathematics, for, in my eyes at least, for a mathematician is probably laughing at this. But for me, it was, it was super hard to understand. I read those papers and I didn't understand how, 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 those, how the stuff works. But then Markus, who's another colleague of mine, stepped into my office and he said, oh, what are you up to? And I explained to him the attack and he said, oh, this sounds sweet. I can, I can do math because he's, <laughs> he studied mathematics and he didn't know about hidden number problem either, but he could read the papers. He, like, he speaks the language of gods. He can, I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, it's a lot of equations, a lot of math. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I understand this. And he then, I went, 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 on, went on holiday and Marcos then spent a month reading papers and developing the tech code for the mathematical part of the tech. We were not sure if it's actually possible to execute the attack at this point, because even though we had some idea how you could solve these equations, there was no reference. Like nobody did this with such big numbers. And it's not not like in school with linear equations, like it's a little bit more complicated. And uh, after a month, he wrote me on Slack again and said, hey, I can now solve those equations and we, we are good. <laughs> Wonderful. What a story. <laughs> so I, I'm sure our listeners, kind of the, the first thing I'd want to do is like, I, how do I check if my website, if my application is vulnerable to this? Like, are, are there things that we should look out for, consider? Yeah. So there is this tool called SSL Labs from, I think, Qualys. And they have like this website where you can put in your server and it gets TLS check. And they actually have 
a flag for this. It's called Diffie-Hellman-Curious. And if that is set to true, then you know you are vulnerable. And if it's set to false, you're not vulnerable. But there's also some other thing to look out for. So like if it's set to true, then it's not clear how vulnerable you are. So there's a bug in an, a five load balancer, I think. It's some big IP. I'm sorry, I have no idea what, what device this actually is. But there's a bug in there which makes this vulnerability a lot easier to exploit. And um, it might be that you, if you are running F5 and uh, it says if you have Mankiri is true, you should probably check that you are, have a use patches and probably disable that. See, okay. And then this sounds predominantly kind of like server side vulnerability. Is there things to be done for clients or? Yeah, the client can cannot actually do a, a lot about this. Like if the server has, has this vulnerability, then the client is kind of screwed. But what you can do as a client is you could disable the Diffie-Hellman key exchange. And then you, the server cannot negotiate that with you. Then your connection cannot be affected by this. So actually, modern browsers typically do this. So I think if you're running the newest Firefox, they disabled it in September, I think. And or Chrome has disabled it for years, I think. And Internet Explorer also. So modern browsers should not be affected. But if you're running something else, like some other device, which is doing TLS connections, it's probably a good time to disable Diffie-Hellman on that. Yeah. Sure. Is, is this, is that kind of the long-term plan for this type of attack? Is there any plan to adjust the TLS specification? Or? Yeah, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to adjust the TLS specification. Like TLS 1.3, which is the newest version, which came out like two years ago, they fixed this vulnerability. So there's probably... It's probably easier to just switch to TS 1.3 than touching the code which is responsible for TS 1.2. And probably also for TS 1.2, it makes sense to disable TLS Diffie-Hellman for clients at least because you never know if a server is vulnerable or not. Like you do, you do not know if a server is reusing keys or not. So why take a chance and just disable it? Yeah, I, I think this is one of those where, you know, it's, it's the technical debt that, that creeps up on you. You know, for anything, any new modern piece of software, we can disable the old old protocol that Diffie-Hellman because, you know, Robert, you said it yourself. I mean, most people today are, or most systems today aren't even using the, the Diffie-Hellman key exchange anymore. I mean, it's, it's a 20-year-old or whatever it is. It's pretty old, even though it's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, I still think it's really cool the way it works. But, you know, I mean... There's just more modern ways and more secure ways of, of doing the key exchange today. And but if you're talking about a system that relies on, you know, legacy software or legacy hardware or something that, you know, it's no longer being produced or it's no longer being supported, or you know, whoever's using it is not, you know, is it's happening in a maybe in an area of the world or in, in an industry where things just don't get updated. You know, it's the technical debt just sort of piles on. And I think this is just another example of where where that can happen. And you don't even realize the the stuff that just keeps, you know, accumulating over time. Yeah, I, I see that a lot of devices probably not get updates and you have the choice of using Diffie-Hellman or ISA. And when I would still use Diffie-Hellman because it offers better features in that sense. But yeah, we should try to avoid it in the future. Like, I mean, elliptic curve Diffie-Hellman is... The standard effectively since many years now, and I hope that everyone is ready for that. <laughs> I mean, right. you do not have to migrate to TS-103 yet, maybe, but 
TS-102 with elliptic curve DPM is like a good baseline. Cloud computing has changed the way we live, do business, and stay connected. With everyone using the same cloud platforms, winning and losing comes down to having the best talent to build products better and faster. So whether you're an aspiring innovator looking to level up or a business harnessing the transformative power of the cloud, tech skills and cloud certifications have never been more important. Cloud Academy has thousands of video courses, learning paths, practical hands-on labs, and real-world cloud environments and tools designed to help teams assess, build, and validate critical cloud skills. More importantly, Cloud Academy stays agile, challenging you with new content, labs, and tons of features that ensure your skills stay relevant and everyone can level up. They cover everything from major certifications to DevOps, security to programming languages. Cloud Academy is the cloud training platform of choice for Fortune 500 companies and thousands of tech professionals around the world. Don't just take their word for it. Check out the reviews on G2 and get started now at cloudacademy.com. For a limited time, our listeners can lock in a 50% off the monthly price for life. Just use the coupon code DEVOPS when checking out. It's a great way to pursue certifications or just cloud build expertise during this crazy time. Again, go to cloudacademy.com and use the coupon code DEVOPS to lock in 50% off the monthly price. I believe you did do some analysis of kind of how widespread continued use of Debbie Hellman is though, right? Yeah, yeah. So we we did a scan on the Alexa top 100,000, which is like the, the a list of the most prominent websites on the internet. And I think it was like 3.3 thousand of our servers were re reusing the Diffie Hellman keys. So... Not all servers support Diffie-Hellman, and not all servers even support TLS. So with some of our servers, you could not even encrypt at all. But if you still 3.3% is still quite a lot. So I would uh, like to get a little bit down in the future. Yeah. I'd be interested to see the comparison of the number of servers using this versus the ones, what percentage of those sites don't have encryption at all. Yeah, I think it's like 20% or something. So it's not super super low so a lot of websites still do not use tls wow. yeah so i think you mentioned on the raccoon attack site that it's a difficult attack for someone to pull off um, yeah what does it actually look like for an attacker to try to try to use this okay so since this is a timing vulnerability the attacker has to be able to measure very precise timing differences and for the raccoon attack, we are talking about like 500 CPU cycles, 5,000 CPU cycles. And this is not a lot. Like your CPU is very fast usually. And the timing difference is very, very small. So the attacker has to be somehow in the uh, close to the target server. Like otherwise, the network noise gets too high. Like even if you have a router in between, it's maybe may already too high. Or if there are too many users on the server, it might be already too high such that you can measure this timing difference because there's just too much jitter. So the attacker needs to be in a man in the middle position. So he needs to see the ciphertext he wants to decrypt. If he cannot see the ciphertext, then there's no point in running the attack anyways. And he needs to be close to the target. And the target needs to reuse the Hellman keys. And the connection you're trying to take has to actually use the Hellman. So there's, that's a lot of, uh, to ask for. So since browsers usually do not use the Hellman anymore, it's already quite rare when you have like only 3.3% of the servers reuse their keys and you have to be close to the target. But this is hard to pull off, but it's a lot, lot easier than to brute force, say, AES or something. 
Like if you would want to do that, cryptography promises you, oh, you will need to the end of time and the universe. But with this attack, you suddenly need just to be close to the server and you need maybe a few hours of computation time and a good network card. So this is a lot easier and a lot cheaper. So this is why cryptographers do not like such attacks, even if they are hard to pull off. Like a web person will probably find some other vulnerability or real attacker, but for cryptographer, this is already like a defeat. So is there anything that you learned while researching this that you can see being applied in, in other attacks? Like, does it does it open other doors or...? Yeah, I think like the side channel that you are, how you're encoding your secrets, that this is actually mattering much. Uh, this is definitely something which will probably also affect other protocols. So my idea was directly after I found this that this is not only TLS, like a lot of protocols trip their leading zero bytes from their shared secrets. So there might be directly a new fleet of attacks you can run. And the first thing I looked at was SSH because this is, probably the most most prominent protocol to attack. Like if you can break this, then hell breaks loose. And for SSH, it's actually, uh, they are also stripping leading zero bytes from their shared secret. And interestingly, they are aware of that, that this leaks the leading zero bytes. So I found an old, or not an old, it's actually a quite new RFC for X25519. So that's some elliptic curve where we specified for SSH. And they explicitly mentioned that they are aware that this encoding of their shared secret is leaking the leading zero bytes of this. And they are living with that. They, they, they will just say, okay, that's, we accept this risk. But SSH is not actually affected because they do not reuse keys. Like they are a little bit more paranoid than the TLS person. So if you do not reuse keys, you cannot pull the attack off. You can do some distinguishing attack, which should not work in in a cryptographic sense, but it's not, you cannot decrypt the, the connection. So, but this technique will definitely be used in other protocols and other applications. We'll probably see it in the future too. Yeah. I guess on the inverse, does that mean that any protocol that doesn't strip leading zeros is safe? <laughs> yeah, one could think that. So from a, from a design perspective, I would say yes. But on an implementation level, you can actually become vulnerable again. So there are those attacks called co-located attacks, where you are on the same machine, for example, as, as the target. Like you are in a cloud setup like AWS, and the attacker accidentally happens to be on the same machine as you. And then he can do something like cache side channel attacks where he can use the CPU cache as a side channel to get information about the target program, which effectively allows you to do very, very precise timing measurements. Like if there's some timing difference, you can, you can measure that suddenly. And if you are an implementation which does not strip leading zero bytes, you, you still might have an, a microarchitecture side channel in your implementation because the big number libraries are not usually designed for crypto. They're designed for some science projects or stuff like that. And they introduce the side channel. So they strip the leading zero bytes and the protocol implementer has to add those leading zero bytes back in. And this creates the side channel. Like it's a really, really tiny side channel. Like we are talking maybe two, three CPU cycles maybe or, or something like that. But this is already enough for those microarchitecture side channel attacks to, to exploit this. So you're not necessarily secure. So maybe we will see something like that also in the future, yeah. 
always impressed by the level of detail, you know, that, that you need to think about to avoid such optimized attacks. This is really great. Yeah, it's probably mostly for lab settings. I'm pretty sure uh, nobody's losing money because of those attacks, but it still should not be possible. Like we are doing everything that these attacks uh, do not come up, but still from time to time, something of that slips through. Yeah, and you know, an attacker with sufficient resources and interest, you know, can, can certainly dig yeah. in. Maybe if you're transmitting the, your Bitcoin keys or something like that, maybe it's worth to do this effort. Well, so I do have one, I think probably the most important question. Why raccoon attack? <laughs> so at our chair, there's the saying that every researcher has a idea of a name for an attack. Uh, for my colleague, it was, for example, Adidas. And for me, it was raccoon attack. And I was trying since years <laughs> to name an attack raccoon attack. But uh, for this attack, I did not find an acronym. And I was like, okay... We just name it Raccoon Attack. Uh, I like raccoons, and <laughs> perfect. <laughs> we thought we we changed that. So in the past, everything was an acronym, but now it's apparently it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great, and I love the the logo that you have on the website for it. Yeah, it's so enjoyed a lot. <laughs> yeah, I definitely recommend people check out uh, raccoon-attack.com. We'll have it in the show notes. If we don't have anything else, should we transition over to picks? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Actually, there's a one one yeah. question. So, Robert, is your background from Windows XP? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I recognize it. It was like it's been bugging me this entire time, trying to think of where I have seen that before, and I've seen it so many times. And then, okay, <laughs> he's That's talking about his video background. For those of you who are listening on audio only, <laughs> the Rolling Green Meadows. <laughs> Yeah. Hey folks, one of the things that I find that really makes a difference for people being happy in their job is working in a place that makes a difference. And there's a terrific company out there that's looking to hire full stack developer just like you, and that's Faith Life. Their average tenure is five years. I mean, five years, that's forever in developer years. Usually I see people changing jobs every one to two years. People are sticking around because they're great. They have a great values-based culture and they are hiring developers in the United States. They're looking for full stack developers who can do C Sharp or JavaScript on the back end and React on the front end. Go check them out at devchat.tv slash faithlife. That's devchat.tv slash faithlife. Well, I guess to, to kick picks off, Joe, as being new to the panel, do you want to... Give us your pick. Sure. I actually just recently finished building a new PC that I'm running Linux on. It's very fun. I think I actually talked about it when I was a guest on the show. A lot faster than a laptop, and I've been trying to really get used to Linux. So then if anyone has any, I don't know, recommendations for their favorite terminal in Linux, I don't know. I don't know how you would contact me, but I guess LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm figuring that all out. So it's, it's fun. Awesome. Charles, you want to switch over yeah. to you? Absolutely. I'm going to throw a couple things that I'm working on out and then I'll throw out a couple of picks. So I mentioned mostvaluable.dev. Basically, the idea is it's going to be an ongoing group coaching, group discussion, forum kind of setup. And it centers around DevOps is this way too. All of our other shows are basically developer focused and we have one that's freelancing focused. It's not specifically developers. But 
people they struggle with how do I stay current? You know, how do I know what's new? How do I know what's hot? How do I know what's going to get me that next job? And the reality is, is that it's, it's a tough thing to know how to do unless you've got a couple of things in place to kind of guide your journey. And so that's what this is about. It's about, okay, how do you stay current? Here's some resources to help you stay current. We'll bring in people, you know, experts. Some of them will be panelists like on this show. Some of them will be, you know, other people from the wider community. But yeah, I'm basically looking to bring in all of the contacts I've made over the years and, you know, kind of get that high level. Okay, you know, here's a Q&A for maybe we get Donovan Brown from Microsoft or here's a Q&A from Robert C. Martin who wrote Clean Code you know, and stuff like that. And then I'm doing the summit in December as well. And the summit's going to be, if you were a kind of a mid-level developer, DevOps person, what would you be doing over the next 30, 60, and 90 days to, you know, advance your career so you could be the most valuable dev for your team? And then I'm also working on the same kind of thing for podcasters. I'm putting on a podcast growth summit, putting together a YouTube channel and a podcast there as well. And that's at podcastplaybook.co. As far as stuff that I've really been enjoying lately, my wife and I have been watching a TV show called Bull, and it's like this courtroom drama TV show. And it's it's kind of clever. I, I enjoy it. It's not like one of those shows, like Battlestar Galactica just blew my mind. It was like, how did they come up with all this stuff? But, you know, it's fun, and it's kind of a nice way to uh, pass the time. The Masked Singer also just started their next season. And so uh, we've been enjoying that as well around here. And then... Yeah, I've just been uh, getting into some stuff and uh, really enjoying that. One other thing that if you're freelancing that I recommend you have a look at is ClickFunnels. And that's that's been working out for us as far as, you know, collecting and driving leads and stuff like that. So anyway, those are my picks. Charles, the whoever does the costumes for the Master is... Oh my gosh. Incredible. They're mind-blowing. Yep. Awesome. Uh, Jeff, um, over to you. All right. I uh, I just have one this week. I think my pick is Zapier. It's something that I've been spending some time on, digging into. It's pretty, really, really cool. But basically, it's all about, to me, it's all about business automation. You know, how do I not have to do stuff manually? How do I pull data, you know, for just running the business really quickly from, let's say, one system and throw it into like a Google Sheet or, you know, an Excel spreadsheet or something like that? It's just, I mean, sky's the limit with what you can do with it. But yeah, it's it's just been it's been a lot of fun, sort of digging into it, figuring out how what I can do with different you know different accounts of what I use in my tech stack in the business, and how do I sort of free up my time from manual stuff and focus on, you know, actually the stuff I I really should be spending my time on. Yeah, I love Zapier. I'm going to throw in a couple of ideas here just so people get an idea of what it does. So for the podcasts, for example, when somebody schedules an episode for the podcast. It actually picks up the calendar invite in Google Calendar. It adds the Zoom link to it. It then also creates a Google Doc and emails the guest and says, guest, please fill in this Google Doc so that we can go prepare for your episode. And then it adds the Google Doc to the Google Calendar. You can kind of get the idea, right? Another way that I use it is I have some lead forms out there for sponsorships. And when somebody fills that in, Zapier actually picks that up and sends me an email and sets up the email such that I can just hit reply and respond to it. So anyway, you, you get the idea. There, there are all kinds of things you can do with it. And it's a terrific tool. Yeah, absolutely. One of the, you just reminded me, one of the thought is somebody else pointed, this, this wasn't my own idea. Somebody else point, pointed it out to me, but it's a really cool use of Zapier is if something comes in, like let's say somebody, you know, 
fills out your form or, or whatever it is. I mean, you're just, you just want to sort of track in real time, hey, you know, what's going on? Are people like, you know, whatever, clicking on my link or downloading my PDF or signing up for, you know, whatever it is or whatever it is, you know, to send a note from with Zapier over to a Slack channel. And all of a sudden, if you just, you know, you can have Slack running and you're sort of watching as stuff just sort of pops up and it's just a way to sort of monitor, you know, log monitoring in real time of what's going on in your business. So I thought that was a cool, really cool idea. And it's just, it's just so seamless. We use that all over the place for that exact use case. It, it works. What's that? Yeah. We, we do that exactly with, with our product. Like we, we have a whole set of events that our, our you know, sales and field team are consuming that's just going from Zapier getting published to the Slack. Yeah. Yeah. But I've also seen like emails that go get turned into Trello mm-hmm. cards and stuff like that. Yeah. So if you work for Zapier and want to sponsor the show, we can do a great job. Of <laughs> <guys>. <laughs> Robert, uh, do you have any picks for us today? Yeah. So I'm a security person. So my pick is about security. So I'm going to pick Pret. So probably not a lot of you have heard of it. It's a printer exploitation toolkit by Jens Müller. It's on GitHub. And with Pret, you can analyze your printers for security vulnerabilities. And it's not the typical CVE vulnerabilities. Like it can actually find a lot of zero days. So if you want to check out if your printer is like allowing you other people to modify your print jobs or <laughs> to, to spy on the print jobs, then Pret is the tool for you. <laughs> Fascinating. I feel like that's something that it's going to just scare me. <laughs> Fantastic. On my end, uh, I'm going to plug uh, actually the DevOps Enterprise Summit, which is coming up in October. It's a three-day event put on by IT Revolution. Very likely if you're in DevOps, you've read some of their books or seen some of their other materials. But it's just a ton of great speakers. I'm actually lucky enough to be speaking during the conference. It's funny, they're still branding them by location. So this year they have DevOps London and DevOps Las Vegas, both virtual conferences. But I highly recommend if you're interested in kind of learning, interacting, meeting new people to to come check out the event uh, that's coming up October 13th. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. Where do you find that? Is that just DevOpsEnterpriseSummit.com? So I believe I have it under um, IT Revolutions events. I'm sure they have a a shorter link to get to it. We'll definitely add that into the show notes. Good deal. Well, thank you all. Thank you, Robert, so much for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks to to all the rest of the panel. It's been a pleasure. Thanks out, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.